When it comes time to build that crisis communication strategy, wouldn't it be nice to know the tricks of the trade? Wouldn't it be helpful if you knew what the media was thinking? Well, stay tuned because today's guest has seen it firsthand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 113th episode of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by former journalist, former government press secretary, crisis management legend, author, speaker, and thought leader, Suzanne Bernier. Suzanne and I got off on a bit of a tangent talking about crisis communications, answering tough questions, the pitfalls and traps to watch for, and what to do to avoid causing headlines you don't want to see. She talks about social media response, and we even dig into her book, Disaster Heroes. Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you. I mean, you have such a, a an illustrious career. You're so well known, uh, and you've done so many interesting things. You know what? Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a, a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, and thank you for having me, Mark. It's great to to be one on one with you today, and hopefully, we'll be one on one in person soon enough, somewhere. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, we were t- sorry to interrupt you. We were talking yeah. about that and how close we are in proximity to each other, and we've never really met in person. So, right. Sometimes that's how things work, huh? Yeah, that's but right. But now we know each other. So, um, I started off not in emergency management, probably like most people who are in, you know, BCP or emergency management. They didn't really grow up thinking I want to be an emergency manager when I grow up. Right. Um, so I didn't think that either. I wanted to be a journalist. So I went to college, took journalism, and then I got a pretty cool job um, as a journalist. And then I was a political reporter too. Hmm. So I ended up uh, being asked by a new party member who had just been voted in to the Canadian election. And they had no experience in communications or government or anything. And so one of the people I used to interview all the time um, ends up all of a sudden now she's a cabinet minister mm. and she has no idea what to do. She needs nine staff, including a communications assistant. And so she asked if I would move from Sudbury, where I was working at the time, to Queen's Park, well, to Toronto to work mm-hmm. out of her Queen's Park office as her media advisor. So that was a wonderful experience. Oh, yeah. Um, that then kind of brought me into emergency management in an indirect way. So while I was doing these communications things, I then was tasked with being the communications advisor for the public safety division of the Ontario government. So OPP, um, Center of Forensic Sciences, Coroner's Office, all of that. So I worked on a, a multitude of different projects there. And then I was offered to be the communications media person for Emergency Management Ontario. And I had no idea what that was. Yeah, what is that? Uh, right? <laughs> I, went, I loved it so much. And I didn't want to just be the spokesperson. I wanted to be one of those officers going out in the field, responding to emergencies. So that's what happened. I went into the director's office one day and I said, you know what? I don't want to just talk about all the things that these cool guys do. I want to do all the things these guys do. So I had a wonderful director who sent me to the Canadian Emergency Management College, which was the only college in Canada where you focused on emergency management. I graduated from the five uh, sessions there, came back, got a job, as a field officer. And I ended up being like the first female field officer 
appointed in Ontario. That so that amazing. was pretty cool. Sure. And then from there, I just fell in love with emergency management, then in, went into the kind of the government side doing BCP stuff, similar to you. Yeah. And then I've been able to just focus on a lot of different areas that I was passionate about working from the Nuclear Safety Commission. And that was helping all the nuclear facilities across Canada uh, exercise their plans with the communities. So that was a wonderful experience too. Yeah, you've had some really interesting things. And one of the things that I love about this podcast and really about our industry is something you alluded to. You said that, you know, most people don't grow up thinking this is what we're going to do. And so everyone's path into emergency management, crisis management, resilience, whatever aspect of it you want to talk about is is so different. Yours is fascinating. And I want to go back for a moment and just talk about that whole journalism and then yeah. spokesperson kind of a, a, of a background, because that had to serve you very, very well, didn't it? When it came to you preparing your own emergency communication strategies or your crisis management plans, particularly around communication, that, that had to give you a major uh, leg up uh, when it came to doing some of that planning, right? Yeah, Mark, you're right. I didn't even realize, you know, what I'd be involved in. But it ends up that, yeah, I was, so I mentioned I was working first for someone who had asked me to go and join her to be her staff member. But where things really were uh, dicey and I was dealing with a lot of media from around the world, actually, was back in like the early 90s. I was asked to then go and be the spokesperson and the speech writer and the press advisor and all of that hmm. for the new attorney general, who was also the first female attorney general oh, nice. appointed in Ontario. So that was Marion Boyd. And so I was her comms advisor and it was right in the middle of same sex legislation. So okay. we were the first or they were the first government to try to implement same sex legislation in 1991. People were, were going crazy about it. And I was getting calls from all over the world about what are you guys thinking? And this is horrible. And Canada's going to destroy itself. It was crazy. And so I had to be able to come up with responses mm -hmm. for either the minister or myself. But one of the biggest processes was being having to develop every single morning. You had to develop all of the different, you have to search for all of the different highlight reels or newspapers that have articles that are negative or positive, but mostly negative, and then look at how to develop language that either the politician can use in the house mm -hmm. um, or they can use in the future. Um, so I went to a lot of scrums. That's where you have to be very quick and people are trying to catch you constantly. And so I developed this kind of crisis communication education and experience just from you know being a communications advisor in politics as, as we all know that's right I mean, by being immersed in it that's right yeah so the idea of uh, the talking points that you would have to come up with when we do that in uh, crisis management we tend to go back to uh, the culture of the organization maybe the history of the organization talk about our core principles and things like that what yeah. were your driving forces to define those talking points, there were mm -hmm. a lot of politically charged questions. And so you had yes. to have a consistency, didn't you, in, in your responses? Definitely. And the, I guess that one of the biggest 
challenges for people is falling into media traps. You know, mm-hmm. somehow you're you're repeating something that you shouldn't be repeating at all. So that was a big one because the media is already always trying to trap the politicians. So you're trying to avoid that from happening. Um, it's not just kind of figuring out the messaging for the media um, or for the audience, but it's also really working with that attorney general or that minister to be able to improve their level of communications and how to be able to respond or not respond during a crisis. Or in your roles now, maybe with private sector or other organizations where you have a company or organization spokesperson, same thing. It's yeah. And I love what you said there. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's it's not just messaging, but it's understanding the traps, right? Exactly. Yes. One, one of the traps that uh, comes to mind from some media training that I had was uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask it uh, to you this way. And I'm going to say, Suzanne, would you say that being in a politically charged environment was your worst nightmare? <laughs> right. And then you got to be really careful with that because the word or the phrase worst nightmare is now out there. Right. So all you have to do is say yes. <laughs> Suzanne, would you say being on the Resilient Journey podcast is your worst nightmare? Definitely not. <laughs> it's a dream. It's a dream. It's a dream. But you have to be careful because if it was a serious question and it was about something very, very negative, any affirmative answer could lead to a headline that you don't want. You're right. Yeah. And that's what you always have to think about in the back of your mind is... Is this going to make front page news tomorrow? And there was uh, a lot of sitting around, talking to the attorney general or the ministers, guiding them on what's in the news today. Here's how you should respond, you know, and you want to make it as short and concise as possible. So that was something that I kind of already was trained in doing as a journalist. Um, so that helped a lot. Were you trying to get them to be quotable or was being quotable? just sort of a byproduct of good preparation. It, w- it was a bit of both, a bit of both. Yeah. What, what do you think makes a good quote from a company spokesperson or a government official? A good quote has to show empathy if it's, you know, a crisis where, where that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to have empathy. They need to really have good crisis communication skills. And the only way that most of them get that is through training, like you were mentioning. So a lot of the time we would send our ministers for additional media training uh, so that they'd be able to deal with like uh, scrum situations and stuff. Uh, But I would always be beside them anyway. And I kind of felt like, so you asked me earlier if if, uh, working with politics was my worst nightmare. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but overall, no, I thought it was a fantastic experience to be able to see from the other side, inside what all goes on. Well, and again, because you started off as a journalist, that helped you as well, because you knew what some of the uh, the, the tactics and techniques might be. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a chance to answer this e- either positively or negatively. It's up to you, however you want to answer it. But from... Any time where you had to respond to media questions, yeah. uh, was there ever a moment where you were like, oh, I wish I had that back. I really screwed that up. Or 
Uh, was there ever a time where you're like, man, I'm so proud of how I handled that one or the other? Okay. So while I was working for Marion Boyd, the AG, uh, they had tried to implement same-sex legislation. And one specific reporter, I believe from the Toronto Sun, called me and wanted a quote from me because there was a rumor that the AG uh, was, uh, was gay and that that was only the only reason she was personally pushing the same-sex legislation. Okay, all right. Which was ridiculous. But, you know, people make up what whatever. Um, so she asks me on the phone, can you confirm or deny that Marion Boyd is gay? And I had asked Marion, I go, Marion, what do you want me to say? Because they're asking me, I have to say something. And she said, say nothing. Say I am happily married, which she was, she had a husband. Um, say I'm happily married and end of story. And so I didn't feel that was enough of a response, mm -hmm. but that's what she wanted me to say. So I went back to the reporter and I said that, no, she, Marion is, yeah, wanted you to know she's happily married and has two kids. So the next day, the headline on the front page is saying that Marion Boyd's advisor says, AG isn't gay. She's married. Oh, and it just no. sounded so stupid, right? Right. Yeah. And so that was the talk for a couple of days. What's interesting about that is in that case, th that media person uh, almost had a better imagination than you did. And what I mean by that is they could figure out a way to turn it into something. Yeah. When if we were just being reasonable, if it was two people over coffee having a conversation, nobody would have assumed that that's what you meant. Right. Right. And uh, I, I had a similar situation. I was doing an interview um, after our church caught on fire and a reporter said to me, I imagine there's a lot of uh, confusion and frustration in the congregation. And I said, yeah, but what's really cool to me is how everybody's pulled together and how we have a common agenda. Yeah. But because I started that answer with, yeah, but the headline the next day was, confusion reigns in local congregation oh. <laughs> and i was livid i was absolutely livid because that yeah. is not the message that i was conveying and i think that that's really really important for us to remember when we prepare our company spokesperson mm -hmm. uh, to like you said earlier it's not just the messaging but it's being aware of the traps and and that's really really something yeah and and I apologize for, for you because we're I don't know 15 minutes in here and I haven't I've only asked you one question I told you I was going to ask you, um, but I did warn you that there would be follow up questions so it's uh, it's I've I've stayed true to that. Yeah, I want to talk about your experience as it might have differed wh whether you're working with a government or a community versus an organization when it comes to planning for and responding to various crises. How is that different working with a company as opposed to maybe working with a government or working with a specific uh, community? Well, it definitely is different. And I've worked with all three. Uh, I think that government was probably, I learned the most and had the most challenges. Um, but 
I think that the federal government or any government is really effective when they are told to do something and they they actually have to implement it. I've seen both levels of government, well, I mean, federal and provincial, being able to come together once they decide that something has to be done, whether it's a pandemic plan or anything else. So I think it was easy to be able to follow the plans um, that help you out um, when you're specifically, I think, in government. And then for communities, I think most of the communities that I've worked with, I think have a much better sense of what could affect them and and how they should respond ahead of time and having plans in place. So I think most of the communities that I know at least have an emergency management plan and a business continuity plan, some of them, some of them not. Um, with government, I find that everybody in government, all levels have done BCP. So that's a good thing. Um, with the government, some people, well, and companies also, most of them are focusing on BCP as opposed to emergency management. That's what I'm seeing. Um, whereas the small, the communities and the governments really are focusing on emergency management uh, and the people as opposed to companies. A lot of the time, it's more focused on the business, which means the BCP. How much in the government is emergency management? How much of it does it really boil down to reputation management? Oh, well, yeah, that's big too. Uh, reputation management is is getting more and more uh, traction, especially because of social media. Right. So that's what we, that's another thing. That's a big thing that we need to keep track of too, which we didn't have to keep track of when I was back in 1991. Uh, but now we've got social media and people are posting things all over the place mm -hmm. uh, and recording things on YouTube and stuff. Right. You remember you said at the top uh, that you used to spend time when 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 you worked for um, the government, you used to spend time going through newspaper articles and different things like that, that were where there were negative mentions of the government. Right. It's the same thing. It's the same principle today. It's it's just today you're scouring all the different social media outlets. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So give some advice there as far as when do you respond to something that's said on social media and when do you just ignore it? Maybe you just ignore right. the trolling, whatever. What, what's a good uh, rule of thumb for that? I guess every organization or person that would be affected by this uh, might be different depending mm -hmm. what the post is about. So I think that people need to get together ahead of time if you're with an organization or a community and fig figure out before it happens what your what the rules are internally. What are you going to do? So if someone po posts something that's like this or very negative, we're just going to ignore it. Mm -hmm. If someone posts something that might confuse the whole community, we'll respond and make it right by you know saying um, what the truth is. That's interesting because sometimes you can make it worse by publicly retaliating against someone who who has a, an honest opinion, right? Yes. Yeah. You don't that's want, true you, too. So I mean, yeah, you don't want to come off as a bully. Most people can yeah. tell the difference, I think, between who might be somebody you don't really want to respond to, and then others that you should. Mm hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You do a lot of training, um, and you know, looking at your profile online, there's so many different organizations that you're involved in. 
Do you have a favorite topic when it comes to training? I guess I have two. One is crisis communications. Yeah. And active shooter awareness. Oh, really? Yeah, those are the two for sure. All right. That's very interesting. So we're going to take a minute and talk about those two things. All right. So when it comes to crisis communication, yeah. are you training like our colleagues on how to go into an organization and provide that organization with good skills or is it more media training for like the spokesperson? Yeah, more that. More the the spokesperson training. Yeah. However, part of the training also includes how to develop a communications plan and lists everything. So it really is like full crisis communications training. When when you start to think about a well-done communication strategy, um the the way I describe it and and offer it to my clients is a crisis communication guideline. It lays out objectives and strategies and even templates and things like that. What are some components that you look for in a good crisis communication strategy? Um, first of all, and this is something that people pretty much have in their plans now, but I was noticing for a long time when social media first began, people didn't have a section talking about social media at all mm. and how they would respond. Uh, and so you know, a lot of people have the, those plans now, but there still are a lot of people who don't. And, and not only when to respond, like we talked about, but how to respond and 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 things like that. Oh, and templates, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. gotta have templates because that just makes everything quicker to be able to push out when something's happening. But are we still doing press releases? Is that a thing still? Mm, it is. I mean, I see press releases come out from the governments and stuff. But it's not as popular as it used to be. So if if I'm a corporation, like a stodgy old corporation, maybe I'm a bank or maybe I don't know, something, you know, not necessarily trendy and Instagrammy and TikToky. Um, right. um <laughs> should we be using Instagram and and TikTok and some of these other things as well? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't see the value because the more that you're involved in the more you might forget to inform your instagram as opposed to blah 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 and really i think to be able to communicate well we only need like maybe two channels to be mm. able to do that through social media i would say you know linkedin would be one of them um and then maybe facebook for communities because that seems to work well for communities oh, okay yeah yeah the other thing you talked about was active shooter, and maybe we'll have you back sometime to talk about that sure. um, because that's a, a topic on its own. And so I right. will invite you back um, sometime in 2024 and we can do a deep dive in that. I would I would really like that. Excellent. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your book. So several years ago, you published Disaster Heroes. Take a minute mm -hmm. and talk about that. And I don't know, maybe I'm looking for a scoop here. Is there any chance there's an updated version coming out or anything like that? Do you have any plans for follow-up work in that area? Right. Good question. Thank you. Um, I originally wrote that book just for like a personal passion project originally because I saw so many people behind the scenes every time I would go volunteer somewhere hmm. um, at disasters. And so I first uh, had the idea when I was in New Orleans after Katrina, wow. working with a team to help rebuild. And I noticed just with our team, there was like people from all over the world who were just people who wanted to volunteer to a firefighter who lost his whole house to, you know, it, 
everything in between us who were there for a conference to speak. And then we ended up helping. Um, so I met a lot of these behind the scenes heroes while volunteering that way. And I left there thinking, I'm going to write a book. You know, everybody sees the negative on the news every day of right. our crises, but right. they never see the positive side. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to focus on some everyday heroes. So that's that's how it happened. The idea was hatched in New Orleans. And that's why I launched it actually in New Orleans in 2015 at the uh, New Orleans Fire Hall. So that was uh, pretty awesome. I was yeah. able to find a lot of amazing heroes that maybe we can talk about another day. Um, and they're like my family now, really. All the 10 people that I, that I uh, met with for the book, we're all family now. Um, and I may, I get a lot of people asking me if I'll write another book. So I may write another book or I might do something different um, to be able to share all of the news stories. Because that's a, another thing is after the book came out, everybody started pitching me new heroes, right? So I have like this huge pile of new heroes that I should be writing about, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Well, that's interesting. And I would love to, um, you know, help you promote that. Uh, yeah. You know, we already talked about having you come back for, for active shooter. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about disaster heroes. Uh, everyone loves those inspirational stories and, um, yeah, yeah you're, you're welcome to come back here anytime. Um, I'm going to ask <laughs> oh, you, wait, I'm going to tell you one other thing okay, that came ahead. out of the book which I never would have thought in a million years. So I go, I'm speaking at the book at a New Orleans conference. And then somebody from FEMA comes running up and she goes, can you speak at our next uh, uh, award ceremony for emergency managers? And I said, okay. She said, it's in three months. And she said, and for the first time, we've had it for eight years, but for the first time, it's going to be at the White House. Oh, man. So three months later, I was speaking in the White House just and, because of the book and, I wrote. It's what, what, yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I'm going to ask random you. Random stuff you never know. Well, I know, right? I mean, the, the things that happen because we do things uh, at a certain time or in a certain way or whatever. Right. Uh, look, we talk about this all the time uh, at the Resilience Think Tank. We talk about building your profile. And yeah. what you're doing by writing the book just adds to your profile. It adds to who you are. Um, and then the more you build your profile, the more doors open down the road. And that's just a natural uh, fact. That's just the way that works. Right. All right. So whether it's at the White House or at a conference somewhere, if yep. you had a chance to pick the music that was played as you were walking to the podium, yep. what song are you going to pick and why? I Need a Hero by Bonnie Tyler because of my whole focus on heroes for the last I love few that. years. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't even have a follow-up to that. I mean, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was great. I love that. Oh, good. Good. Uh, Suzanne, look, we're, we're right out of time here. This has yeah. been fun. Uh, you're a great communicator. I loved having you on here. How can people connect with you uh, if they want to learn more about you? Oh, I guess they can go to my website. So Suzanne Bernier. Com. All right. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, like I said, it was thank a pleasure you. having this you here. Awesome. We need to meet in person. Let's do it. Okay. I want to thank Suzanne Bernier for being my guest this week and coming in and talking to us about crisis communications and the pitfalls that we need to be aware of. 
The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. We have another great guest lined up next week to wrap up 2023, the last guest of the year. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.